please remain standing as we read God's Word. For our New Testament reading this morning, I'm going to be reading the third epistle of John, and uh, it's a short chapter, so we will, a short book, indeed, one chapter, we will read it in its entirety. God's Holy Word. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for those brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephus, who likes to put himself first, he does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers, and he also steps, steps, stops those who want and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also, we also add our testimony and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we'll talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. Thanks be to God. Okay, at this point, we would uh, like to invite uh, Pastor Elkins to bring us God's holy word. You may be seated. I'm delighted to see that some of you returned. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure to see more uh, faces that you've seen the week before. But thanks again to your pastor. Thanks again to your session. Thanks for the privilege that you give us being here on this Lord's Day. Allow me to pray for us as we turn our attention to this, the Word of God. Let us pray. Almighty God in heaven, you have spoken and we have heard. Would you give us the benefit in application of your Spirit being at work in us? For we pray asking it in Jesus' name. Amen. Gave a little title to it, Encouraging Commendations. We've got to split the hairs a bit as we get involved in the uh, little bit of an introduction. You know, there's such a thing as a compliment, is, isn't there? Well, there's such a thing as a commendation, isn't there? And there's a difference in the two. I had to look up some definitions because I wanted to get it accurate and I want to read it to you carefully. Webster's Old Collegiate Dictionary. Do you have one of those on the shelf at home? 
some people actually do. Webster said this about a compliment. A ceremonious expression of approbation, civility, or admiration. A flattering speech. Does that help? Ceremonious, flattering. Those don't sound much like compliments to you and me, do they? They sound like uh, a rather negative expression to be complimenting is not necessarily a very uh, appropriate thing. Well, what about the word commendation? To recommend as praiseworthy of confidence or regard. Praiseworthy. A commendation is something that is praiseworthy. As we have read this little book that John wrote, these few verses, we actually find John expressing much commendation to the Christians in his day. It was particularly intended for this man, yes, but we know the principles that are elucidated in this little writing are applicable to all of us. So we're talking about not compliments as such. We're talking about commendations in particular. I'll say it now and I'll say it again. All those years with RUF staff training, there was a mantra that was taught, T-D-O-E-E. Teach it, demonstrate it, observe it, evaluate it, and encourage on that basis. Commendations are strong encouragements to live obediently and in accord with the revealed will of God. We thrive on encouragements, don't we? Some of us grew up very aware of, of, uh, of uh, censures. My father was old school. Was your father old school? He let me know when I was out of accord with expectations. And I said to somebody during this past week, I was a quick learner also. <laughs> Some of us respond very, very favorably, though, to encouragements, don't we? And here is a model from John's pen giving us encouragements as he spoke, particularly in, in his day. Encouragements, commendations, to which we say, thank the Lord. I give you a small list of things that I note coming out of this passage, and the first would be in verse 3. For I was very glad when brethren came and bore witness to your truth, that is, how you are walking in the truth. Verses 3 and then verse 4. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. The truth is the truth, isn't it, Rusty? I've got to refer to Rusty. Everybody ought to be in that Sunday school class because he just really strikes a good blow. The truth, the truth, the truth is the truth. It's undeniably the case when God's word speaks the truth that it is to be assumed as the truth. One man said, the truth that was in him, the reality of his faith, the sincerity of his religion, and his devotedness to God. That's what John is commending 
toward this man. And by extension, John is commending commendation toward you and me. John uses this word truth in his gospel some 27 times. And he uses that word in these three little epistles 20 times. Apparently, John had a a neon light blinking in his mind. The truth, the truth, the truth, the truth, the truth. Even more so than the other apostles. John, because orthopraxy follows orthodoxy. Right living follows right believing. To believe the truth entails living in accord with the teachings of that truth. John 1.17, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. John 4.24, we must worship him in spirit and in truth. John 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Why belabor the point? Belaboring the point means that there are living expectations for believing people. And John is saying, add a boy, add a boy. Had any add a boys lately? Add a boys that are not simply compliments but are actually real expressions of you're struggling by God's blessing with the empowerment of His Spirit to be living out your convictions. Here's an example of a good name. The church bears witness. Everybody says the same kind of thing about you. The church is bearing witness. Judge in the classroom, in the courtroom, the, 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 you've got you've got to bear up, you've got to speak out, you've got to spe- you've got to express the truth. What does the witness do? He gives testimony to his understanding of the real situation. What is it for believing people? Those around us are witnessing. They are bearing witness of our living and walking in the truth. What commendations do you seek? What compliments do you seek? We'll say it again in a few minutes, but we'll say it again, we'll say it right now in the beginning, in the first point. We'll say it again in a few minutes, but we'll say it again right now in the first point. Believers are perceived in Christ and believers' performance would be perceived in Christ. I am perceived in Christ. We have a, we have a, a quick understanding of that because we're believers. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be, li- shalt be saved. But it is as true of our person in our performance Imperfect though it is, this side of heaven. And Rusty, my favorite chapter in the Westminster Confession is number 17, of good works. My favorite. And one of those paragraphs explains to us that no work this side of heaven is in and of itself perfect. Really? Really. Genesis 6, 9 that we quoted last Lord's Day Every imagination of the intents of the heart was only evil continually. And post-conversion, 
we still have, according to that section in the confession, rightly expressing the teaching of God's word, that nothing you do this side of heaven is in and of itself acceptable and perfect before God. But just as he receives you, your person, he will say to you mysteriously, mysteriously, well done, thou good and faithful servant. When you and I know there's never been a moment of Christian living when our heart has not been completely pure, our motives are mixed. Let me tell you about preachers. I deal with them a lot. <laughs> they, they be funny people. <laughs> you stand in the pulpit for a lot of reasons. Just let me use that as an example. Standing in the pulpit, there are a lot of reasons. There's some that seem to be good, but the, even the standing in the pulpit has mixed motives to it, and I'm sorry to admit it. We're after the adulation of people. We're after the success of the church under our tenure, preachers might be thinking. And what they say, what they do is an analogy exactly accurate of your living for Jesus too. Imagine that. But what's the good deal? The good deal is that though no action on our part, no walking in our part is ever in and of itself perfectly obedient to the expressed will of God. But not only is your person perceived in Christ, but also your performance is perceived in Christ. I don't know about you, but I go, whew, whew. we're not on a treadmill. It is the Spirit of God who is at work in us, causing us to will and do of God's good pleasure. It didn't end all those years ago for some of you people. It only began. And it continues to this day as God's Spirit is at work in you and your actions are perceived in Christ. That's pretty good. Well, point number one in my little outline is noticing that walking in the truth is commended by the Apostle John. One man said, brethren, that came from Gaius testified and bore witness. And a good report is due for the, from those who have received good. It's like ointment flowing down. When people in this church see you walking in the truth. I get it, John. I get what you're saying. Point number two in my little outline is this. Acting faithfully, verse five says, Beloved, you are 
acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. Whoa, whoa. Faithfully. To live, to do, in faith, appropriately to our position in life. A faithful husband, a faithful wife, faithful children, faithful Christians. And John is getting the report back about these people. Well, you know, those folk down there at New Covenant, they're faithful. That's a mark of Christian living. And it is a noteworthy witness to the community around us. Gaius' faithfulness was demonstrated to all by his charity, one man called it, including his hospitality to the brethren. That's what we read. go on to read. Kindness to the poor, hospitality to Christian strangers, and readiness to accommodate them for the service of the gospel. John's saying, way to go. Way to acknowledge the work of God's Spirit in you by which obedience to God's moral law summarily comprehended in the Ten Commandments is so clear that it's obviously noted by all kinds of people. He says it's to the, stra- to the brethren and to strangers alike. Whoa. He was hospitable. He did what he could. Hospitality, 1 Timothy 3, is one of the marks of those who are to be elders in the church. Mm. Mm. It's what we do. It's the way we live out with other people. A mark, hospitality. John uh, Gaius seems to be very generous in all that he could do. Time, talents, possessions. Seems to be. That seems to be the kind of application that John is noting in this man's life. Time, talents, possessions. Apparently back in those days they had lots of traveling preachers. This is a hotbed in the early days for Southern Presbyterianism. Did you know that? David Irving, our good friend at Woodland Presbyterian Church in Hattiesburg, David has purposefully become a, 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 something of an expert about, Southern, about Presbyterianism in this area. You need to get him, Brian, sometime, have him come here and tell these folks. We were together in an installation service in Columbus, Mississippi, Main Street Press, what, a month ago, whatever it was. And David was to charge, to give a charge to the people. Excuse me, to the preacher. But in the intro to to that charge, David noted the history of that congregation and the influence of that congregation in the state of Mississippi. I've heard him make reference to the multiple Presbyterian churches in southwest Mississippi. What a hallmark. 
What a commendation when people are saying these people live as Jesus would have them live. They had traveling preachers. I don't know how they got it done. It was noted in, uh, it was noted in Sunday school that uh, mules are not too easy to deal with. I, I, they were riding horseback, I think, mostly, but some might have been on the back of a mule. Circuit preaching for the sake of people having God's word, going to their communities far afield as sometimes they were, for the sake of opening up God's word for those people. I have one preacher friend, doesn't even live in, in Mississippi. And you, would, you wouldn't know him if I told you his name. But he said there was a, a negative spirit that he had run across. Sometimes people don't want to hear missionaries come through talking. Well, he was saying, isn't it wonderful when we hear the word of God being broadcast by missionaries here, there, and yonder? Tell us about it. Tell us what's happening. Tell us about the spread of the word of God in foreign places, different places. Well, I couldn't have been a preacher like that, could you? <laughs> I don't think I could have done it. You may not be able to do it either, particularly in the 19th century, particularly in the 18th century or thereabouts. But there's a lot you and I can do for the sake of the influence of the gospel. Time, talents, and possessions. Time, talents, and possessions. It's a little mantra we hear at first prayers occasionally, usually uh, in the fall of the year. Why do we hear it in the fall of the year? <laughs> because we're wanting the people to realize, hey, Consider what you're going to be giving next year. Time, talents, and possessions. Uh, I'm off text. I'm off script right here. And when I do that, I kind of get myself in trouble. I have to be very careful. Let's see if I can say it correctly without having both feet in my mouth. I deal pretty often with seminary students. I've got an office, a little office there in the new seminary building. I think I noted it last week. I'm not employed by RTS. I actually pay a little bit of rent, a little bit, a little bit. Seminary students sometimes will come and sit on that sofa right there across from my desk and we have a wonderful discussion. We have a wonderful discussion. And here is some of the point. How much, how, how much do you think preachers ought to be giving? We don't know, do we? You don't know what anybody else sitting next to you is giving. That's not the point, is it? We don't put it on a poster board up front, do we? But in the Old Testament tithe and in the New Testament grace and benevolence and generosity... How much do you think exemplary people ought to be giving? And how much do you think people just like you ought to be giving? Conversation gets around to, do I give on the basis of gross or net? Uh, maybe I ought to stop because I'm about to wander into uh, sort of 
strange territory. But we are people who give, aren't we? We are not restrained by limitations. Or let me get you to think of it this way. Let me get you to think of it this way. In our time, talents, and possessions, are we minimalists? Or are we maximalists? What do you think? It's a lot we can do who don't seem to have some of the opportunities that other people might have, like pastor figures. You can pray. You can pray. We had an older ruling elder at First Church there in Jackson. I'll just tell you his name. George Lemon. <laughs> Got a smile out of that one. There were times in that session meeting when uh, we might be sort of between a rock and a hard place. And what we would do, what, what, excuse me, what would happen would be George would stand up. George Lemon. He sort of talked like this. He had a beard down to there. I think he was 112 years old at the time. But George would stand up and he would say, what we need to do is pray. And he would sit down. One commentator said this, such faithful souls can hear their own praises without being puffed up the commendation of what is good in us is designed not for our pride, but for, for our encourage, encouragement to continue therein and should be accordingly improved. Put that pride thing away and heighten that thank God thing in your life. Thank God if he's given you the capacity to do some things that others in the congregation may not be able to do. Thank God. John is commending God's people. Do what you can. Do what you can. The next point goes like this. In verse 11... Imitate or follow the pattern of that which is good. Imitate, imitate, imitate. Commendation is an encouragement to love and obey God. Love and obey God. Imitate, imitate the saints who do so. Paul says five times, imitate me imitating Jesus. Or Follow me following Jesus. You are a model, a model whether you like it or not. And we do like it. We do like it because Jesus has done a mysterious work in my life. And by his blessing and by the power of his spirit living in me, as we were saying last week, abiding in me, the Spirit of God, 
allows me to be something of a model, flawed though I be, but something of a model of Christian living. And such is the case with you too. Obey the commands and encourage others to obey the commands. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 6 and 7, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.2, And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We had, we had a little sentence that we used in ethics class all, the, all those years ago back there, Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. You never have the right to do wrong. You never have the right to do wrong. By God's blessing, we salute the flag. By God's blessing, we understand the absolute truthfulness of the expression that the moral law of God is summarily comprehended in the Ten Commandments. We believe and affirm that it might have been enough for God to give number one. You shall have no other gods before me. Because as it were an umbrella, it seems to be cast over the other nine. Three more in reference to God and the six in reference to those around us. We are people who live by the standard regardless of what other people around us do. And we're grateful that God is giving us the privilege to do so. How do we determine good? Again, my favorite chapter, Good Works. <laughs> it lists five qualifiers as we're struggling with that definition of, well, what really is good? Well, we've got the moral law of God, yes. But think of it this way. Those men in the 1640s put it together quite well. The first is, what's good? What God says is good. That's simply. Micah 6, He hath shown thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Okay, good, that's what God says. Good, number two, from faith in him. Romans 14, 23, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Good is resulting from the faith that God has given us. Number three, to God's glory. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Not for personal compliments, but praise the Lord. PTL, praise the Lord. Number four, with right motives, previously referenced with right motives. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 13, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. 
Right motives, right motives, right? Lord, would you please help me struggle with my motives? Would you please, sir, cause me to be reflective, not just about what I do, but why do I do it? Why do I do it? And number five, empowered by God's Spirit. Philippians 2, my favorite, I noted it to you last week, my favorite verse and part of the reason that this is my favorite chapter out of the Westminster Confession. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. I was a much grown adult. Well, how how tall were you back in those days? I was much old. Maybe I'd better say it that way. I was a much old adult. (laughs) I can smile or two. I'm not, you know, well, anyway, moving on. I was was a much old adult, I think, before this really hit me. Has it hit you? That anything we do that has the real quality of it as as good is resulting from God's Spirit being at work in you. I lived too many years on a treadmill. Did you? trying to keep God happy so he would not be unhappy. And finally, I realized my person is perceived in Christ. My performance is perceived in Christ. And it is God's Spirit who is at work in me who then merits the real commendation. Of course, it's God. Of course it's God. Can I say one more time? Of course it's God. Mysteriously, he changed the spots of of the leopard uh, by figure, by analogy. He changed you. And mysteriously, He continues to be at work in you because of Jesus. Well, I'm going to commend you. I don't want to compliment you. Oh, it's a nice building. And really, I want to commend you. I want to commend you when you're noting these commendations that John has underscored. And be encouraged. Is that okay? I think it's fine. Let's pray. Almighty God in heaven, what a challenge, but what an empowering, a challenge to love and obey, a realization of what we're not, but a full realization of what you are and of your patience, 
kindness, fingerprints, loving care that you continue to give us from day to day. As you're moving us one by one, sometimes slowly, sometimes a bit more quickly toward heaven. Use us as you will, please, sir. Because we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.